Volume One, Chapter Twelve of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Mary's Reception. But in spite of Bellarmin's impassioned declaration, in spite of his still more impassioned letter, Lady Saxon did not feel certain of her prey. Love had not blinded her cool judgment, and she saw through his reactionary moods and impulses and his struggle with the worst part of himself lady saxon had watched such a conflict many a time before it always amused her and her interest in the doubtful issue never lost its keenness there was a good deal of the instinct of the savage in lady saxon she liked to inflict pain to know that she had the power of inflicting it she had an unconquerable egotism a thirst for power for excitement for mental stimulant of some kind in her life she had felt one passionate consuming attachment and that had been for victor champion when she had laid her snares for lord saxon the thought of champion had been as prominent in her mind as that of the splendid position she might achieve she had won the position and though it delighted her less than she had fancied it would she exulted in it nevertheless there was still something she wished to win something which she meant to hold as well as the position she had gained if possible but for which she would throw up the position if needs be this had been the end and aim of her interest in politics the fact that champion was her husband's colleague gave dramatic point to the situation and intensified its zest lady saxon was in some sense an anachronism she would have better suited an earlier civilization she was unscrupulous enough for a medician court she would have reveled in the luxury and the intrigues of the lower empire for the present with her one supreme object still in view lady saxon was resolved to feed her craving for power and excitement as best she could bellarmin's admiration still gratified her besides he had now become an instrument which might be turned to useful account by winning bellarmin to champion's side she might come nearer to her great aim and in any case bellarmin amused her and he should not marry the nice girl with money which was the fate his friends predicted for him he should be her slave her toy and if he were in any danger of being attracted by mary stuart beaton well lady saxon would advance daringly into the enemy's country all the movements should be made under her own eyes and if she were to be worsted which was improbable she would at least have the excitement of the fight so some days later when bellarmin was lunching in seymour place lady saxon announced her intention of calling on the princess that afternoon and she told bellarmin that it was her wish he should also pay his respects to the representative of the stuarts he was surprised and showed it he stammered and for a young statesman exhibited a most ingenuous confusion yes said lady saxon the princess holds her court to-day i have found out all about it i want to see what sort of ceremony goes on at this english st germain's shall i be permitted a fauteuil do you suppose bellarmin said that he ought to be at the house 
nonsense she rejoined it is only solid serious politicians like lord saxon who are interested in statistics and who put in an appearance at question time come i insist upon your going stay she added in an imperious undertone these people will have gone presently lady saxon had been giving one of those informal little luncheon parties for which she was famous where anybody and everybody might be found except lord saxon he exercised some slight jurisdiction in the matter of dinners but his wife asked whom she pleased to luncheon she usually had a politician or two of the less serious type she was not particular whether tory or liberal a favorite actor or actress a bishop perhaps possibly a foreign anarchist as mild as a sucking lamb at her table and some smart young guardsman and frisky woman of fashion after luncheon cigarettes were smoked in a fantastically decorated den behind lord saxon's study and coffee and kimmel were handed round in a certain laxity of conversation just a piquant flavoring was permitted there followed a good deal of light talk and explanation about the princess and her claims which somehow grated disagreeably on bellarmin the young man was in a feverish and contradictory mood he had a vague longing to escape from the scene to breathe another atmosphere and yet he was like the prisoner in an opium den held by a fascination which he could not and would not resist and all the time he felt disgusted himself and contempt for his own weakness the other guests went away and at last he was alone with lady saxon in the dully gorgeous room in which the fumes of the scented cigarettes and odors of the aromatic coffee and the kimmel blended with eastern perfumes for which she had a fancy lady saxon seemed in keeping with the room she was quaintly dressed in some soft yellow-brown liberty stuff the color she was so fond of with her yellow hair piled above her forehead and a barbaric-looking jewel fastening the lace at her throat she came close to the young man and smiled at him in her peculiar way well she said you are thinking of something you were at the german embassy last night he said yes and champion was there yes and you sat and talked to him the whole evening in a little side room yes she said again are you going to do me the honor to establish an espionage over my movements would you like to know of what we talked you and he never seemed to have anything to say to each other till quite lately people have remarked it tell me josephine poor boy she said in her sweet mocking tone you are so impetuous you let your feelings run away with you that is not wise in a politician you know that i have your good at heart i don't want you to take the fever too severely it is such a wasting fever rolf it saps youth and energy and hope no good comes of it and it isn't a thing you can get over and be done with it breaks out sometimes years afterwards and then oh one can hardly be still for that restless longing to be her voice sank almost to a whisper to be with the one she moved abruptly away from him he looked after her with a sort of sullen wrath in his eyes it had flashed over him that it was not of him she was thinking presently she came back and spoke in her light caressing manner 
did i not tell you that you were to come here less often that you were to go and devote yourself to your country's service and make up your mind how far her institutions needed reforming it isn't good for you to hang about me you mustn't call me josephine i never said that i allowed that you mustn't write me letters which she laughed at him rebukingly which are so pretty and so sweet but which might occasion some uneasiness to lord saxon if which isn't possible they fell into his hands and if he didn't understand his wife so thoroughly so now go and put yourself into a hansom and meet me in half an hour's time at the court of st germain's there was something in the aspect of mary beaton's drawing-room when lady saxon entered it which made her think of the old-time court to which she had so jestingly alluded the house was early georgian and the lofty rooms were panelled and had the corner fireplaces and the high narrow windows and stiff ornamentation of that period the portraits on the walls added to the illusion the high-bred melancholy stuart countenance seemed to haunt the place even the beatons appeared to have been of the cavalier type and two or three vivid paintings of italian noblemen bore no relation to modern london the furniture old-fashioned and georgian too had been collected by falcon and lord stonehenge both determined that the surroundings should harmonize with the prominent figure mary beaton was seated in a high-backed chair against a background of tapestry which filled in a sort of recess and represented in faded colours some of the adventures of ulysses general falcon in a sort of undress uniform stood very erect near her chair and lady struthers standing behind it had the air of a lady-in-waiting mary beaton's costume of rich brocade quaint and straight falling with a ruffle of mechlin lace framing her throat and at her side a quaint chatelaine with a veritable pomander said to have been the property of the queen of scots was in keeping with the scene there were a good many people in the room but scarcely any who belonged to lady saxon's world some standing about others sitting on the slim legged stools and settees others looking at the collection of miniatures on the cabinets which were of historic interest a few passing in and out to the garden a walled-in enclosure with some old beech trees in full leaf and a grassy lawn and brilliant borders the birds were singing there and the scent of roses which in this sunny sheltered corner had come early into bloom floated pleasantly in above the subdued hum of conversation there rose every now and then a word in french or italian or german miss beaton was talking in french to a venerable catholic dignitary with cassock and cross who was listening attentively to her words lord stonehenge stood near the priest and in the group respectfully standing also lady saxon to her great surprise saw sir victor champion the little circle broke up as lady saxon entered her appearance seemed to produce in all some slight start of wonder general falcon made an abrupt movement lady struthers went through a sort of preening process and put on her blandest smile she was much gratified by this recognition of her mistress's social claims and her own on the part of the fashionable world mary got up and bade her visitor welcome her greeting a pretty mixture of girlish cordiality and native dignity sir victor 
bowed gravely and moved apart with the priest whom with his characteristic many-sidedness he had drawn into a discussion on ecclesiastical literature it was this alertness and receptivity this quick desire of culture in every field and openness to every claim and conviction which made sir victor champion the object of such admiration among his friends and sarcastic commentary among his enemies this thought flashed through lady saxon's mind while she was uttering sweet conventionalities to her hostess it was like him to be attracted by the romantic and historic associations that clung round the descendant of mary stuart it was like him to wish to inspect more closely this fantastic flower of bygone chivalry blooming in prosaic modern london lady saxon was not much disturbed by the thought so far she had no kind of affinity with such ideas and associations what sort of feudal instincts could she possess any more than emma hart that lady hamilton to whom she had once likened herself she only said in her mind that sir victor liked to be in touch with everything and that he was curious about the charming claimant he liked a sensation that taste he had in common with herself and she recognized and made allowance for the temperament but she knew very well that the sensations he liked were of a more poetic kind than those which delighted her most lady saxon had an odd candour towards her own soul she knew the pretence and scorned it even when she made it she knew that she had never appealed to that poetic strain in champion she knew only she did not care much now that she could never appeal to the poetic strain in bellarmin that subtle moonlight sentiment of life was for such women as mary for her passionate sun-glow ripe fruit red wine still she hated the girl who had inherited the crown of romance the girl who could inspire poetry why should mary beaton be the daughter of the stuarts why should josephine saxon be an emma hart lady saxon said a great many pretty things to miss beaton and she was gracious to lady struthers also and to general falcon the latter of whom replied with sardonic courtesy a steady look interchanged between the london lady and the soldier legitimist the paladin adventurer whose changing lot had thrown him among strange scenes and strange people told a great deal to both lady saxon had no definite personal association with falcon but she knew that he had crossed her path in the past and that he remembered her she guessed more than this it seemed to her that there was some sinister design in the manner in which he turned his gaze direct from her to sir victor champion standing apart conversing with the priest and back again with a kind of malign exultation to her face she was a fearless woman and indifferent to consequences but for the moment she had a spasm of the heart then her natural courage reasserted itself if i have a secret he has a secret too she thought and i will find his out and turn it into a weapon if he can do me harm i can surely be of use to him it might be worth while for each to buy off the other and failing the rest if there's war i never knew the man who was too strong for me all the time that she was thus taking inward counsel she smiled on mary and her companions she complimented the girl on her pretty house and lord stonehenge and falcon on the taste which had arranged it so appropriately 
she told mary that lord saxon was most anxious to meet her that her father-in-law took deep interest in the question of miss beaton's pedigree she declared that the portrait in the park lane pictorial had not done miss beaton justice and asked if she had not felt angry with the artist to whom its execution had been entrusted the girl flushed a little i did not know about it she said and i did not like it i was very angry with general falcon for giving the people my photograph i am not an actress or she paused and just then a smile of bright girlish greeting broke over her face as she glanced suddenly towards somebody who had that moment come in lady saxon without looking round felt jealously certain that it was bellarmin and she was right he too looked glad he was thinking i knew she had nothing to do with that park lane pictorial affair he had overheard her words the deferential manner in which he returned mary's greeting irritated lady saxon he did not perceive her for the moment and there was a buoyancy about him as if he had determinedly shaken off some stupefying influence what had made him late ah it was explained tommy tressel cool indifferent with his half-shut eyes and a smile of gentle cynicism followed bellarmin and was forthwith presented to the representative of all the superstitions he was supposed to hold in abhorrence tressel in a drawing-room and tressel on the floor of the house of commons were two different beings ah said mary to bellarmin with frank cordiality i wondered whether you would get the card that i told lady struthers to send you you seem to have so many addresses mr bellarmin do all english politicians belong to all those clubs i have to thank you madame for having done me the honour to remember me said bellarmin i was very sorry not to see you when you called the other day mary went on i want to talk to you mr bellarmin more problems in political economy that i want explained oh if i were a statesman what would i not do i did not dare to tell sir victor champion just at first what i am thinking about why don't you do something for your own people instead of ah mr bellarmin i know a great deal more about the poor people round your houses of parliament i think than you do but never mind we have a plan lord stonehenge has a plan he will talk to you about it by and by lady saxon you are not going yet i want to show you my garden i am so proud of my garden i have a plan too said lady saxon in which mr bellarmin may be included if he pleases i want you to dine at my house miss beaton and meet my husband and the duke of athelstane and some of our political friends she had come forward and as she looked at bellarmin the young man flushed and mary saw the flush saw that his bright boyish ease suddenly left him she saw too that he and lady saxon exchanged no formal greeting mr bellarmin has been lunching with me said lady saxon and he was so disingenuous or so polite as to let me think i had given him the information that it was your reception day i sent him on to announce my coming her manner clearly conveyed to mary beaton's sensitive ear that lady saxon and lady saxon alone had been the object of bellarmin's visit that he would not have come had she not bidden him the girl felt a little shock of recoil from both the woman and the man she regretted her warmth her manner became ever so little constrained though she smiled brightly 
your plan is a very delightful one lady saxon she answered and i gladly agree to it my dear tyrant must be consulted however i presume and she glanced up at falcon my guardian lady saxon seems to look upon the acceptance of an invitation as seriously as if it were the signing of a state treaty general falcon and lady struthers will of course come too said lady saxon turning to falcon who bowed with his characteristic solemnity they would not consider it becoming that my youth and inexperience should go anywhere without their protection laughed mary is it not so general do you understand that lord and lady saxon wish us to dine with them and to make acquaintance with some of their political friends could anything please you better since you are so anxious that i should learn exactly how england is governed from the people who govern her it appears said lady saxon her eyes turning from tressel and bellarmin to sir victor that miss beaton is in a fair way to establish a political salon ah sir victor i felt much flattered when he came here of his own accord to-day i am fascinated by sir victor lady saxon and his great charm is that he is not in the least political or what do you say philistine he might be a catholic or a jacobite and he is an english radical you puzzle me you english statesman she went on you seem so out of keeping with your professed characters there is mr bellarmin who calls himself a tory and you mr tressel i heard you speak in the house of commons but i could not see you i heard you denounce royalty and aristocracy and all the rest and yet and yet i am here put in tressel with languid courtliness which amused mary people were coming and going every now and then miss beaton would move forward to greet some fresh arrival to take leave of a departing guest or say a gracious word or two to some one who looked neglected her manner notwithstanding its girlishness had a queenly assurance which might have provoked a smile had it not been so entirely unconscious lady saxon could not help observing not with unmixed satisfaction that the young pretendress showed considerable aplomb in her reception of certain guests and in the way she warded off attention from mere lion hunters madame spinola was one of these she had made her way into the house in kensington by grace of an introduction which she had been at a good deal of trouble to procure from one of mary's foreign friends she had already made an attempt to entrap miss beaton into a promise to come to one of the bohemian parties which have been described but lady struthers rose to the occasion and sustained by the combined dignity of all the dead stuarts and of their living representative replied with her stateliest air that it was not considered politic for a madame to mix much in london society just at present to dine at the marquis of saxon's in order to make acquaintance with the duke of athelstane and to attend a reception at the house of madame spinola whom the experienced old lady at once gauged as third-rate were things not to be classed together in lady struthers mind nor was miss beaton favourably disposed to the lady who was addressed by the scotch member mr levin with such easy familiarity and whom she heard talking in terms of assured intimacy about ralph bellarmin and tommy tressel mary noticed later that when madame spinola effusively welcomed bellarmin the young man's tone and manner became unconsciously and almost indefinably free and flippant she overheard also some slight criticisms from tressel upon 
poor jenny's grief and rage at not being able to pay her respects to bellarmin's princess which were not intended for miss beaton's ears and mary's colour heightened for a moment and she wondered what manner of women these were whom mr bellarmin appeared to know so well and she was half indignant half gratified to observe from his chivalric air when he spoke to her how differently he rated her from such as they the question rose involuntarily was his deference a tribute to her as a woman or as a steward there was a faint bitterness in the girl's heart as she passed on leaving it unanswered the knots of talkers changed and broke up lady struthers was devoting herself to immediatized royalty and in rapid french was making such of the bystanders as were familiar with that language aware of the fact that she was on terms of intimacy with various serene and imperial highnesses she was also expatiating volubly on the merits of iced strawberry squash and explaining to her illustrious guest that it was a mistake to suppose roast beef and plum pudding the national english dishes that distinction being claimed by strawberry squash and at intervals the deep rolling voice with its suspicion of highland accent might be heard above all the feminine buzz and general clatter urging in tones of deferential entreaty encore du squash chérie princesse chérie princesse encore du squash general falcon drifting about after mary beaton in the manner of a lord-in-waiting found himself detained in a little group of which lord stonehenge and tressel made part he found that they were arranging for a visit to stonehenge park the plan to which miss beaton had alluded and about the exact date of which she had evidently been first consulted this was an irritation to falcon's jealous heart the greater when he found that bellarmin had been asked without his knowledge or interference and that it was intended sir victor champion should be invited and yet he could not even in his own mind find any reasonable objection to the move which with the eye of a tactician he saw was a wise one you enter into our idea of course said lord stonehenge mr tressel would like to bring about a rapprochement between these two and it is important to us that there should be a feeling of harmony on all sides on the question of the stuart claims tressel blew away the smoke of an imaginary cigarette and gave a comical side glance out of his half-closed eyes i'm not going to say anything about the stuart claims he said they are beyond me i shall confine myself to hanoverian grants and hereditary pensions for the present we count upon you general falcon lord stonehenge said you do me honour lord stonehenge but i fear that i shall be of little use to you in your political conversations come now tressel languidly observed you don't imagine that hard-worked politicians go down to a beautiful place in the country in the whitsuntide recess merely to talk politics yes i do falcon answered bluntly quite wrong my dear fellow i assure you buttercups and daisies and a beautiful old castle full of historic associations and a library full of rare books and a pretty girl nothing in the world more calculated to warm the cockles of lucifer's heart or as stonehenge puts it to promote a feeling of harmony i ain't quite so sure of the harmony on bellarmin's part though tressel's remarks grated upon stonehenge almost as unpleasantly as they did upon falcon 
"'You will come,' he said, turning to the general. "'Undoubtedly, Lord Stonehenge. "'I could not refuse an invitation which does me so much honour. "'And the grim old soldier bowed himself out of the conversation. "'Wonder it don't get upon Miss Beaton's nerves sometimes "'to have such a companion always hanging about her,' said Tressel. "'He is devoted to her, and she knows it,' Lord Stonehenge answered gravely. "'Something about his eyes rather suggests the idea of the private madhouse,' Tressel observed. "'Oh, come! He was a splendid soldier, and he is a man of considerable capacity,' Stonehenge remonstrated. "'Just you wait and see. I don't exactly claim to be an inspired prophet,' Tressel replied. "'But I do observe that what I predict does somehow always come to pass.' "'You haven't predicted anything in this case,' said Stonehenge, good-humouredly. "'No. Then you'll find that what I haven't predicted, what I keep to myself, in this case, will come to pass.'" End of Volume 1 Chapter 12